Good morning. Many, many years ago when I was first starting out uh, in ministry as a pastor, I had a small group of freshman guys. Uh, they're all adults now, like they have kids and they're married, and, and so that just makes me feel super old. Um, but we got to, I love these guys. We get to be really close. I get to be in one of their weddings in April. Like, I just, I love this group. And we had a lot of fun memories together. But the one we talk about more than any other is the time we wanted to go to Dave and Buster's. If you're familiar with Dave and Buster's, uh, it's like, think of like a Chuck E. Cheese on steroids. Well, I'm going to show you a picture, what it looks like over here. See that? It's like a, looks, it's like a casino for tweens and teenagers. It's got all these games, uh, big video games you can play together. You uh, can win all these tickets to get stuff you probably could have gotten cheaper if you just paid for it. But hey, the ticket, it's the lure of the tickets, right? So we, we talk about going over Christmas breaks. It was many years ago, right around this season. Um, and we uh, take these four guys and they pile into my 1988 Navy Blue Manual Volkswagen Jetta. And we drive the 45 minutes down to Center City, Philadelphia, where the Dave & Buster's is located. Uh, we try and find a parking spot. Uh, it's hard to park on a Friday night in Philadelphia. We eventually find a parking spot. And uh, I think we left our coats in the car because we didn't want to deal with them. So we're freezing as we run down to Dave & Buster's. But we're there, we're excited, and we go in, and we find out that we're not allowed in. And I, I'm like, well, why not? Because the reason it turns out is these guys are all minors, and I'm, at that point, was 24, and I couldn't take minors in unless I was 25. And so we're like, seriously? Because my birthday's in February, February 4th, if you're taking notes. Um, and it's like, we're so close. I'm like, no, sorry, there's nothing we can do. We're like, come on, man. And so we get in the car and we drive back home. It's like, we came all this way and you're not going to let us in. Ugh, fine. So a little while later, we decide we're going to do this again. I'm now 25. We drive down to Dave & Buster's, but this time we take a wrong turn. And by we take a wrong turn, I mean I took a wrong turn because I was the one driving. And we go across one of the bridges and we end up in Camden, New Jersey at night. And if you're familiar with that area, that's not a place you'd want to be at night. And, I, you know, I'm trying to project calm for these guys because I'm in charge, but in my head, I'm like, is this how it ends? <laughs> right, right here. So we finally figure out where we're going, and we get to Dave & Buster's, and we go inside, and I'm like, I'm 25 now, so yeah, get your rules out of here. Like, all proud of that, like showing up my lights. Yeah, 25, that's right. We were allowed to be here. And he's like, all right. Uh, and as we start to go in, he's like, just know you only have 45 minutes. And we're like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, because they're minors after nine o'clock, uh, no minors are allowed at all. I'm like, that would have been information that would have been useful last time we came. Goodness gracious. It's like, feels, now it's beginning to feel super personal. Like I did something to Dave and or Buster's. <laughs> Eventually, we, the, we managed to figure this out and actually go and have a great time, and talk about it afterwards. And what was great is, is this place that was once off limits to us wasn't anymore, right? This thing that was once inaccessible is now open to us. So we, we got to have that experience. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. As we continue our series, At Last, on the long-awaited gift that, that Jesus is at Christmas, how the, this thing that was once inaccessible, this thing that was, that was once off limits to us is no longer. If you've got a Bible, you want to turn with me to Isaiah 49. Your notes, you might see it says Isaiah 42. 
That was my fault. Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49, verses 6 to 7. God's speaking here through his prophet, and so he says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations, to the one who is the servant of rulers, Kings will stand at attention when you pass by. Princes will also bow low because of the Lord, the faithful one, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. God's talking here about his son, about Jesus. The prophecies like this always had a current meaning to the people they're written to, but it has a future meaning as well. And the future meaning is Jesus. As we talked a couple weeks ago when we talked about Isaiah, that Jesus is that light that God is sending, that great light. And we see this picked up and really made explicit in Luke chapter 2. A man named Simeon sees Jesus as a baby when he's brought to the temple. He's a godly man, he's a devout man, and that's really all we know about him. But he says these words in Luke 2, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. We see this connection made for us perfectly that Jesus is those things. Jesus is all of those things that God is promising. He's going to make things right. We're going to look at three things that Jesus does in these verses. And the first one is this. Jesus makes the inaccessible accessible. Jesus makes the inaccessible accessible. God created humanity and loves humanity dearly. But there's a problem, right? Our sin has separated us from God. We go back to the Garden of Eden back in Genesis 1. God creates this perfect place and walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. They they experience his presence, but they sin. Sin is is rebellion against God, is really saying to God, I don't need you to find good in my life. I don't need you to find happiness or joy. I don't need you. It's missing God's mark of perfection. And sin broke our relationship. It cut us off from God. It separates us from him. Think of it like, like this, like this VIP area, right? Sin is the rope that keeps us out. Like, you don't see velvet ropes in front of things that, like, you don't want to be in. Like, they don't put velvet ropes in front of a storage closet. This is always in front of, like, the VIP area, like, to keep the riffraff out. Which, by the way, totally underused word. I want to work into my daily vocabulary more. Riffraff. It's a great word. Like, this rope is a reminder. Like, you do not belong in here, right? You stay out here. It separates us. It keeps us away. And that's what our sin has done. It shows us the good place that we can't get to. But God's not okay with with our story ending there. God's not okay with that being the final chapter. And so he sent his son. And I love this language he uses. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. I'll make you a light to the Gentiles. And what we see there is that God has always had Israel as his chosen people. But even way back in in the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to use you to bless everyone, to bless the nations, to draw people to me. And now he's making explicit how, through Jesus. I'm going to send a light, not just to you, but a great light to everyone. Because Gentiles are just non-Jewish people. So he's saying a light to everyone. We see God's movement towards us. The difference, the fundamental difference between Christianity and every religion that I'm aware of is that every religion I know of is a path to God, a means to get to God, Steps to take in order to be okay with God. But Christianity is the story of how God came to us. How God made a way to us. How God didn't say, 
be right and good and holy and perfect and figure that out and then I will love you. But instead, it's the story of how God said, I love you. I know you and your brokenness and I love you so much. I move to you. I come all the way to you. God doesn't want us to break through barriers. God has taken the barriers down on his own through his son, Jesus. That's who Jesus is. He's the light to reveal God to the nations, to everyone. We talked two weeks ago about Jesus being the light that reveals our hearts. But here the light does something different. It reveals God's heart. Light that reveals God, his love, his character, his truth. Jesus makes God knowable. He makes God accessible for us. Jesus is able to cross every barrier, every socioeconomic barrier, every racial barrier, every cultural barrier. Jesus transcends those. God is not bound by those things. We don't need to experience God's culture in order to to get to God. God has moved into our culture to speak to us, sending his son as a human being. What better way to say, I'm going to meet you where you are, than to send God as flesh to, to walk amongst us. God absolutely knows what our experience is like because his son has lived as a man. What a powerful picture. I think about when I lived in Israel, I went to this church called the the Church of Annunciation in in Nazareth that had murals of Mary and Jesus from all over the world, from all these different cultures. And what I found fascinating is we view Jesus in a very specific lens, like like he's a tall, like Brad Pitt with flowing locks and sandals. But what I found fascinating is that the mural from Japan depicted Jesus as Japanese. The mural from Korea depicted Jesus as Korean. The mural from Spain depicted Jesus as this little Spaniard. And the reason I think that's so powerful is that's a picture of the hope of Jesus, of the gospel, that God is able to, to transcend all cultural barriers. He meets us uniquely where we are. That we can understand him no matter where we live, no matter what our experience is. Because of our sin, we're on the outside looking in. Because of our sin, we're kept out. But Jesus comes and he invites us in. If this is like this super exclusive club in New York City, if you're not on the guest list, you're not getting in. But what Jesus does is he comes out and says, they're with me. And he invites us in with him. He makes God accessible in a way we never could on our own. Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell may well have been talking about God's relentless love for us when they sang, because baby, there ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. There was zero chance I was going to sing that. (laughs) Zero chance. Jesus is God doing whatever he had to to come to us. Jesus made the inaccessible accessible. The second thing we see Jesus do here is that Jesus makes the impossible possible. Jesus makes the impossible possible. And this is important because even with God made accessible, even with the way open, we still can't get there on our own. We still can't get there on our own. We're still not good enough. Even knowing the way to go, we still can't make it happen because we can't ever be good enough on our own. And we have all tried to do that at some point in our lives. And if we're honest, we know how exhausting that is. To keep making enough good things happen in in this area to outweigh the bad that we do. It's exhausting. 
Our relationship with God is impossible because of our sin. This one writer puts it like this. We must all realize fundamentally and theologically that our biggest problem is us. It starts with us. It's our brokenness. It's our selfishness. It's this default nature we have in our hearts to think about ourselves first before anything or anyone else. God is still impossible even if he's made accessible without something else happening. And we see here what God is doing. Isaiah 49, 6 says, And you, Jesus, will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Luke 2 says, I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. It says, Jesus is our salvation. I love how it says it in, in Isaiah 49, verse 9, just sort of describing what salvation means. He said, God is saying, I will say to the prisoners, come out in freedom. And to those in darkness, come into the light. That's salvation, being rescued from the mess that we've made of life, being rescued from a, a, an otherwise hopeless existence, being rescued from our sin and our shame and our guilt and our failure. But what I love about salvation and the way that God works is salvation isn't just from something. All right? We're saved from sin, shame, guilt, and failures, but we're also saved to something. We're saved to a life richer than we can imagine we're saved to a relationship with the God of the universe who loves us perfectly because his love makes us whole. We're not just saved from the things we hate. We're saved to something richer and deeper and more satisfying and more meaningful than we can imagine. God isn't saying, do what I want you to do because he's, he's got some ego trip. God isn't telling us how to live because he, he enjoys bossing us around. God is saying, trust me. Your puny brains cannot wrap your, itself around the good that I want for you. And I, my puny brain is included in that too. He's saying, I want something for you that you can't even imagine. And we're saved continually. That's not just a one and done thing. We're saved continually. That doesn't mean that we have to get saved every day. It doesn't mean we have to, to pray a salvation prayer every day that we, we, that we could somehow lose the salvation that God has for us. But instead, what it means is we're continually saved from our selfishness, from the worst of ourselves, from our bad habits, from our, our failures. It means every moment of every day is a chance to live differently. Salvation leads to restoration, to wholeness, the things that we really want to experience. We have been saved when we know Jesus from the things we've done. We are in the process of being saved and we will be saved once and for all. That's the hope that God's talking about here. And what's crazy is all we have to do is receive it. That's it. And that's why we have a hard time with it because it feels like this just should be earned. Like, what do I have to do to get this? But nothing. God says, I love you and I've already done it. I have this for you. God shows up through his son to offer us an incredible gift, an undeserved gift that will change our lives. God wants to put it in our hands. We just need to take it. I'm here with one of our $1 million prizes. Let's go surprise the winner. Come on out, come on out. You are our $1 million winner. Congratulations. All right, coming on here.
come on out, come on out. We've got a surprise for you here. We want to present you with a prize of one million dollars. Come on here and grab this check. Congratulations. All right. We have another satisfied winner of one million dollars. Come on out, come on out. I've got something for you I'd like for you to see. Come on out. I'd like to present you with a new prize of one million dollars. There you have it, folks. Another family we surprised with one million dollars. This is our last one million dollar check. Let's go surprise the winners. Come on out, come on out. We got a surprise for you. You are winners of one million dollars. Here you go, congratulations. Yeah, no thanks. No, thank you. Salvation is that they show up at your house, but you still got to take the check. The mere existence of this check in the world, right? The mere reality that there is a check with your name on it does not matter if you don't take it. You can't go to buy something and say, well, someone offered me a check. I mean, I don't have it with me, but you know, you can just take my word for it. I'm good. That's not going to work. We receive salvation. The existence of that check makes no difference in our lives. We have to receive it in order for it to matter. That's what salvation is. It is a gift that is offered, and all we have to do is say thank you and receive what God has done on our behalf. Folks, God's love is greater than anything that would make you run away from it. Because of that truth, Jesus makes the impossible possible. The last thing that Jesus does here is he makes the unloved loved. He makes the unloved loved. We see God's incredible heart for his people in these verses, for the hurting, for the broken, for the outsiders. And we see how deeply God loves people because they're his. God doesn't love people because of what we've done. God loves people because we're his. His deep and abiding love for us welcomes us in. You see it in, in the words that, that are used here, the light of the world. Not just for some people, the light of the world, that salvation to the Gentiles, that God's heart is that all people know him. God wants people to know him because he loves people. Sometimes we have a hard time believing this because our life isn't the exact way we want it to be. For many, Christmas can be a difficult time. Reminds us of a loved one that we've lost. Reminds us of past hurts or broken relationships. Reminds us that our life isn't turning out the way that we'd want. We can take our disappointments and dissatisfaction and turn it into anger with God for not doing what we want. We're, we're fascinating as people, if we're, if we're really truthfully honest. We want God to be powerful enough to do what we want him to do, Right? We want God to be powerful to do whatever we want him to do, but not powerful enough to actually know what's better for us. We all know that airplanes are safe, right? Airplanes are incredibly safe. But there have been times when planes have crashed. They're rare, though, right? One statistic I found said that you're 86 times less likely to be involved in a fatal accident on a plane than in a car. 86 times less likely to be in a fatal accident in a plane than in a car. So have fun with that on your drive home today. <laughs> so we know that planes have crashed before, and yet 
we're still willing to get on a plane and fly somewhere. Why is that? Why are we willing to trust airplanes and not the God of the universe? If we're honest, we're, we're far quicker to trust other things than we are to trust God, right? Why are we willing to say that those rare accidents, those rare plane crashes, they aren't the norm? But yet, we're still willing to say that since God didn't do what we wanted in one situation, we're not going to trust him. There's a lot of reasons for that, because we all come with different baggage. But maybe one is because we don't feel we need a personal relationship with the pilot in order to get on that plane. But we do need a personal relationship in order to understand God. We can't know God for who he is without Jesus making that possible. You know what, though? I find this interesting when I was thinking about it this week. Relationships really do matter. It would make a difference to me if I knew the pilot personally because of trust, right? If you knew the pilot and his character and his history, flying with him gives you so much more confidence because you know they know what they're doing. You know they know they know. Well, God is trustworthy. We can have confidence in him, and he's shown us that. He's demonstrated that through Jesus. I love how verse 7 talks about it, of Isaiah 49. God says, the Lord, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations. says that Jesus is despised and rejected. That he suffers on our behalf. But that his story doesn't end there. God says, the day will come when kings will stand at attention when you pass by. Princes will also bow low because of the Lord, the faithful one, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. God loves us, hears us, sees us, and cares for us. And just as he promises to raise up Jesus who suffered, he promises to raise up those who love and know him as well. So we can know no matter what we experience, that's how loved we are. That God said, even if your current chapter is is painful, the final chapter is incredible and it's forever. We can find hope in the idea that we are loved, that Jesus makes the unloved loved. Knowing that we are loved matters so much because if God doesn't love us, if the promise is mediocre, then I'm unwilling to sell out for it. I need the promise to be as incredible as God says it is. Shindong Hyuk was born in Camp 14 in North Korea. He ate the same cornmeal and cabbage gruel every day, supplemented his diet with rats and with insects, and he was always hungry. At 13, he was tortured and imprisoned after telling a guard that his mother and brother were planning an escape. And after being released from his cell, he was forced to watch their public executions. He says he didn't feel grief at the time because he didn't know how to. At age 20, he was captured after an escape attempt, and he was burned and tortured in an underground prison for six months. In his own words, he didn't feel like a human. He didn't know love or compassion or grief. He had no reason to escape anymore because he didn't think the outside was any different. He didn't know freedom. And he met a man named Park who had lived outside the camps, and he understood for the first time that life could be different. He began to get a picture of a world outside his own. He was excited by the idea of being able to eat as much food as he wanted, which Shin considered to be the essence of freedom. In fact, he still says, I still think of freedom as roasted chicken. He and Park made a plan to escape, to break out of the 
electric fence that surrounded the camp. So one day they put their plan into motion. And tragically, Park went first and died after being electrocuted by the fence. And so Shin climbed through the fence over the body of his friend to freedom. He made his way eventually to South Korea by way of China. And he testified before the UN Human Rights Commissions on what, on what he experienced. Shin's story is really our story, folks. Like Shin, we are lost on our own with no concept of life, what life could really be, what freedom really is. Like Shin, our journey to freedom begins when we meet someone who knows that life can be different, ultimately when we meet Jesus. Like Shin, someone had to die in order for us to be free. Like Shin, we, cl- we crawled to freedom across the, the body of someone who died so that we could make it. Like Shin, we are offered a much better home, a life we didn't even know was possible before. And like Shin, though freedom from the camp is infinitely better, it's still a difficult road. This freedom would be lost to us if not for God's unfathomable love for us. The gift of Jesus made this possible. Shin was willing to die for chicken. Jesus is so much greater than chicken. He's so much greater. The life and the light that's talked about in these verses is the deepest and greatest hope imaginable. It's real, lasting, permanent hope. So that even when life doesn't go the way we hoped, even when it's hard, even when it feels like it's falling apart, we have an eternal hope that it won't always be that way. The promise is great, greater than we can possibly imagine. We need to understand that God loves us so deeply He has pursued us so that we can trust and rest in that hope. We aren't just welcomed to a place. We're welcomed to a person. Jesus isn't just the means of our salvation. Jesus is our salvation. He's our savior, our healer, our protector, our king, our rescuer, our salvation. He's the one who takes down the velvet rope and invites us in. If you know this Jesus, then my challenge to you is the same for myself. It's live in that hope and look forward to your future home with God as he intended from the beginning. But also include others in that hope. Jesus is the gift that God gave to us. We have the opportunity to share that gift with others. If you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus, I'm really, really glad you're here. I hope you hear me say that Jesus wants you to know him. He's offering you a ticket to the greatest hope ever, a place to be free from what you can't free yourself from. I want to leave you this morning with a couple questions, questions that I've been wrestling through myself this week. What barriers has Jesus crossed in your life? If you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, what barriers has Jesus crossed in your life? What obstacles has Jesus crossed. When I think about that for me, I think think my sin. Jesus has crossed that. He's moved towards me in spite of that, in spite of my foolishness, in spite of me saying at times in my life, I don't need you, God. Not saying those words, but living like that's true. He's crossed the, the barrier of my fears, my doubts. He's met me there. What is it for you? Maybe he convinced you that you're not a failure. 
Maybe he rescued you out of self-destructive behavior. Maybe he healed a deep hurt in your life. Maybe he showed you that you are deeply loved. What barriers has Jesus crossed for you? Second question to ask yourself is, what barriers, what are the barriers that you still need Jesus to cross? Right? What are barriers that you need Jesus to cross? And that's challenging for me. Because if I'm honest, there's plenty of things that I still need him to work in. My insecurity, my self-doubt, when I wrestle with feeling not good enough, when I wrestle with where I belong and, and how I fit in, when I struggle to find my identity completely and fully in Jesus and in nothing else, I still need Jesus to cross that barrier for me. What is it for you? Maybe you can't understand why God would allow you or someone you love to get sick. Maybe you're angry at God at the loss of a loved one. Maybe you need to be saved from yourself. Maybe you need him to show you that you can't do life on your own. Maybe you need him to help you realize that, all, that your success and your accomplishments just aren't enough to fill that hole in your heart. What is it for you? And lastly, how can you cross a barrier to reach out to someone else? How can you cross a barrier to reach out to someone else? Is there someone in your life that is hurting that you could come alongside? Is there someone who could use a friend? Is there someone in your life that, that needs support? I want to throw out a simple idea this morning. Is there someone in your life who doesn't have anywhere to be on Christmas Eve or Christmas? Whether it's because they can't go back home for some reason or simply because they don't have any family nearby. Or maybe they don't celebrate Christmas. What would it look like for you to invite them into your family, invite them into your home for a time? What would it look like for you to live out and celebrate what Jesus has done, why this time of year matters to us? And listen, I know that some of you are thinking, that might be super weird if I do that. And it might be. But two things for you. One, it's not the weirdest thing you've done recently, I promise. And two, even if someone says no, asking, reaching out means so much more than we realize. Folks, Christmas is deeply important because this is the time when God's promise to rescue people came into the world. When God sent his son to show up for us. We have an opportunity to live out that truth so that it's real in our lives and real for others to see. I love how Dwight Moody says it. He says, we are told to let our light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. Jesus is the one who makes that possible for us.